0: Good morning, Forest View. And thank you, Shogo and Hillary. And we really should give a thank you to Jordan and Christine and some of the people who work behind the scenes to make this all possible. We really are grateful for you, so thank you. And of course, there's more opportunity to help out. um, So if you're interested in that, please talk to Cole. So, the presence of God, and thank you to Nat and Paul for bringing us along these past several weeks, inviting us to think more and hopefully practice more a bit about this presence of God. And this whole idea, it's such an intangible idea that it's hard for us to get our minds around it. This idea that the Almighty God is near us. But that's the promise that we have, that the Holy Spirit is not only close to us, but is in us, as 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And so we, as the people of God, have this great mystery of the Spirit of God in us, recreating us and doing this beautiful, transformative work within us and around us. Now, in weeks, in weeks past, we've looked at practicing the presence of God by being together or being silent, being thankful. Then last week, we talked about communion and how celebrating this simple feast can help us practice the presence of God. So today, as the last sermon in the series, I was asked to speak about the practicing the presence of God by being shaped by the rhythms of time. So before we start, though, let's pray. Oh God, you are here with us right now, and give us Rembrandt's eye and Bach's ear as we seek to see you and to hear you. May your spirit encourage and prompt and, re- and rebuke for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. So there are three rhythms of time that I want to talk about this morning. We'll start beg and go down from there. We'll talk about a yearly rhythm, a weekly rhythm, and then a daily rhythm. Now, this is my confession to you, is I am probably not going to say anything that is terribly earth-shattering new for you this morning. But what I want to do is I want to encourage you towards new habits. I want to provide some time where we can talk about how we practice the presence of God through the rhythm of time. And maybe this is especially important during COVID, And then maybe especially as we approach Ash Wednesday and we enter into the season of Lent. I think we're probably all on the same page that this is a good thing. As the people of God, we want to experience God more. We want to know God more. We want to be formed into people who look like Jesus. So I hope this morning there's some few ideas that you can take away and you can put into practice. I also want you to participate with me this morning, Um, because what I hope is that the Spirit is going to prompt you um, with some new ideas, new habits, and and I'm hoping that part of the way that's going to happen is through the chat feature. So even though I won't be able to read them till later, I would love it is if if as I talk, if something comes to mind, if you got a suggestion or a question, something to say, you know, it can be the name of a book or a song, whatever, please share it with others. This is one of the big bonuses of being part of the family of God. Besides the fact that people will bring you casseroles if you're down and out, it's that we can help each other through spiritual conversation. And if we're brave enough to open up to each other and risk conversation that goes beyond the weather and our jobs, we can bless each other with this honest, often simple ways of how God is forming us, um, how he's done it in the past, how he's doing it in the future, And not only is this our gift to each other, but it's also a way that we give testimony to the powerful work of God. So please, as things come to mind for you, please share your ideas in the chat. While I talk, I won't mind. So first thing, yearly rhythm. So the yearly rhythm for the church is the church calendar or the liturgical calendar. And this is the calendar that the church uses based on the life of Jesus. So just off the top of your head, what parts of the church calendar have been meaningful to you? Do you have a day or a season that you're particularly drawn to? Put this in the chat while we talk. So Christmas and Easter, these are the two big pillars of the church calendar. We've got the birth of Christ, and then we've got the death and resurrection of Christ. After that, we have Pentecost, which is 50 days after Easter. And this celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit and then the birth of the church which then leads into ordinary time. So we've got some big days in the church calendar, like Christmas and Easter, and their corresponding seasons, which are Advent and Lent. And then we have all this ordinary time that kind of goes from the end of May to the beginning of December when Advent starts again. What I love about ordinary time is that as we head into it, and and the color for ordinary time is green, which represents like growth and flourishing, but as we head into ordinary time, it's just as we come off Pentecost, which means that we go into ordinary time with the presence of God Himself. The Spirit of God is with us, is in us actually. The Iona community in Scotland (laughs) has taken an ancient Celtic symbol for 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 the spirit, which is the wild goose. So maybe this is appropriate for Canadians as well. But it's this free and beautiful creature who's also a bit unpredictable and sometimes has a way of disturbing the peace. This is a reminder that the spirit is not under our control. So the church calendar also includes a bunch of saint days, and these saint days came about as people died for their faith. So think Roman emperors and the Colosseum, Christians being burned at the stake. As men and women died for their faith, these martyrs were honored by their church family by setting aside a special day to remember them, like Saint Polycarp, one of the early martyrs. And then as time went on, people of great faith were remembered by giving them a special day on the calendar people like St. Patrick. So year after year, this is what the church does, is we tell and retell our sacred stories, just like many of you read stories to your children night after night. Steve Bell says, we Christians are many things, but for sure we are keepers of the story. We tend it like a fire in the darkest of nights, and we live by its blaze and glory during the day. So this is what the church does, is we tell and we retell the sacred story of God and God's love for the world year after year. Now, if you've got young kids, you know how kids love the same story over and over. And there's probably some of you who have Goodnight Moon or Brown Bear, Brown Bear, memorized because you have read them so many times. The thing about telling and retelling the story of Scripture is that it is a living story. So there is something to receive each time. And also, our capacity to receive deepens each time. So this is a rich story that we will never exhaust. Some might say that the church calendar is a bit of a love story that we replay year after year because it really is the story of, for God so loved the world. And each year the Church retells this story, it is with Christians all over the world. It's got this universal global aspect to it. So as we enter the season of Lent here in Ontario, we're doing it alongside groups of Christ followers from Mexico and Brazil and South Africa and India. Observing the Church calendar also puts us in touch with the historic Church, That for hundreds of years our forefathers and mothers have been celebrating the story of God, and they've been telling this story in medieval cathedrals and Protestant startups in Germany, and then through great revivals in open fields in rural England. So there's this chronological connectivity that we Forest View Church have with the church through the ages as we celebrate the church calendar. Now let's think about our years. Some of our lives are formed around the school year. Maybe you've been in school forever, and if you're a teacher, September 1st has been the beginning of your year since you were six years old. And just as a side note, teachers, we know that this is a particularly tough year for many of you, and so know that we are praying for you. If you're a sports fan, then March Madness, Super Bowl, World Series. These are big markers in your year. And for those of you who are accountants, you are gearing up, or maybe you're already in the midst of tax season. And then for all of us, think how birthdays, anniversaries, vacations, these are highlights in our year, and we kind of arrange our lives around these special days. So all of us, whether we're really aware of it or not, we orient our years around these different calendars. And the church calendar is just a way of keeping and marking time that invites us to form our lives around the scriptures, around the story of Jesus. Joan Chittister, a Benedictine nun, Lincoln's living the church calendar year after year, marking our spiritual growth to the rings of a tree. And she says each year, they add layer after layer of meaning to life, and they pull us deeper and deeper into the life of Jesus. So the liturgical year is really a way that we slowly and surely, year after year, immerse us in the life of Christ. It's really a way that we can practice the presence of God. And that's what we want, isn't it? I mean, deep down, I think all of us have this desire for some sort of divine connection with something outside of ourselves. Charles Taylor, the philosopher from Montreal, who writes about our secular age, says, even if, as a society, we don't really believe in religion, we do have this sneaking suspicion that our world is haunted. That there are these intimations of transcendence that make us pause, and we think that there's got to be something beyond just what we see. And as Christ followers, we know for sure that there is more than meets the eye. The scriptures give us the true story of the whole world. And by immersing ourselves in this story, we get to know God and at the same time, ourselves to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is 2 Peter 3.18. And then in Philippians 3.10, which says, I wanna know Christ, the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings. And as Jesus followers, we wanna know God. We wanna be transformed. Um, And so observing the church calendar year after year, it's not an exercise in piety, It's not like walking through a museum each year where we remember these past historic events, but it's a guide to actually knowing God, to practicing the presence of God. God is with us, God is for us, God is in us, and God through us. So if there are ways that observing the church calendar have been meaningful to you, please share those in the chat. If there are days or seasons that have formed you as a follower of Jesus, please, put that in there. The great thing about the church calendar is that we get to visit all the parts of the story of Jesus each year. We get to read the whole of Scripture. We can't just stick to our favorites or ignore the parts that we don't like. But each year, as we read the Scriptures, we follow the life of Jesus from birth to death to resurrection to the birth of the church— And right now in the liturgical calendar, we are entering the season of Lent this week, and we will walk with Jesus to the cross. So that's the the yearly rhythm of time. Let's take a look at the weekly rhythm of time. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Yes, one of the Ten Commandments Sundays or the Christian Sabbath are like mini-Easters. Once a week, we're to gather together and remember that Christ indeed lived and died and rose again. This is the very essence of our faith, that death does not triumph, that evil cannot prevail, and that the death of the Spirit is not final, and that Jesus lives again. Wallace, a liturgical theologian, says that Sunday is the heart of the liturgical year because this is our opportunity to meet with the risen Christ in worship. So Sunday is the Lord's day, and it immerses us in the good news of Jesus. It strengthens us during dark times. It it helps us continue our own journeys to the cross and to trust that the resurrection is the will of God for all of us. Someone once said that Sunday is all about holy leisure. And when I think about what Jesus said in Mark 2, where it says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I can't help but think that keeping the Sabbath is more than just one of the Ten Commandments, but it's this invitation. The question is, is how do we observe the Sabbath? How do we set aside this day as the Lord's? And what things can we do to remember that Christ lives indeed, and so shall we. Now, the Sabbath is one of those things that I grew up, um, it was was a set-apart day, mostly in terms of things that we did not do. It really was a ceasing from work, but probably not so much celebrating the rest of God. So I'm going to talk a bit about my own Sabbath keeping, but I want you to talk online about your Sabbath practices. Tell us what you do or what you've done in the past to practice the presence of God once a week on Sundays. So I've come to the Sabbath rhythm of time a bit late, but a couple of years ago, I intentionally started observing the Sabbath. And for me, it means that I don't try to touch my computer till after supper. And for those of us who are students, you know that the pile of homework changes, but it never really ceases. But I try not to do homework on Sundays till after supper. I've also implemented a special uh, Sunday brunch and COVID has helped with this because our Sunday mornings are a bit more leisurely now that the kids don't have to get out of bed till 9.50. But after we watch church, we eat special egg sandwiches, you know, bagels or croissants or cheese buns with, you know, a fried egg, bacon, cheese, avocado, arugula, tomatoes, and often with like homemade chutney or tomato nectarine butter. But these are deluxe breakfast sandwiches. And to me, it's a reminder that God is good. He gives good things. And this is who God is, the good giver. And so we eat and we enjoy and we thank God. When I stop working on the Sabbath, and hasn't COVID allowed work to somehow take over our whole lives in a way? But when I stop, I remember that my worth is not what I produce, but that God has already declared that I am worthy because I am human and I am His. So in a way, the Sabbath, once a week, it reminds me who I am. It takes me back to the first couple chapters of Genesis. And it reminds me who God is, that God is not someone who's heaping my plate with more and more, but that God has already done the work. That God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. He is not perpetually disappointed in me, and neither is he standing far away and can't be bothered. Instead, our God is the God who is with us, for us, in us, and works through us. And our God wants to come close. He wants friendship with us. So what if we viewed the Sabbath as a weekly invitation from God to draw close to Him, to stop working, to sit with Him, to pray at a more leisurely pace, to be with each other as a spiritual community to read the scriptures, to give the Spirit a chance to speak. It's Valentine's Day, and we know from human relationships how important time together is, and not just the number of minutes, but the quality of time. There's something about time together that's unrushed. It's not business, (laughs) but the only agenda is just to know each other more, enjoy each other. And that's sort of what the Sabbath is like. It's God's invitation for us to remember who he is and for us to remember who we are. And even though sin has been this ugly, destructive force of death, the Sabbath reminds us that due to the resurrection of Jesus, life is the final word. Okay, last rhythm of time, daily rhythm. How do we practice the presence of God in our daily life? And I think there's something about morning and evening habits that we as the people of God need to be attuned to. Annie Dillard says that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So there's something about how we spend our everyday lives that is important. Psalm 92, says, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. So just take a minute and think about your daily routine. Think about what you wake up to, how you start your day to like, how you finish your day. Um, What, you know, how do you go to bed at night? Lamentations 3, 22, 23 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, those are good words to wake up to, aren't they? There's something about a daily liturgy that reminds us that God's love for us is not a general sort of love, but it's a particular love. And our ordinary lives and the way we wake up and go to bed actually matter to God. And this is where the grand story of God kind of intersects with our ordinary lives. And the liturgy of our daily lives, as Psalm 92 says, should be marked by God's love in God's faithfulness. And this is what we remind ourselves every day. There's a poem, Prayer, by um, Daniel Ladinsky, who, inspired by Francis of Assisi, says this. I think God might be a little prejudiced. For once he asked me to join him on a walk through this world, and we gazed into every heart on the earth, and I noticed that he lingered a bit longer before any face that was weeping, and before any eyes that were laughing, I have come to learn God adores his creation. And if we wake up to and go to bed in light of the fact that God adores us, I've got to believe that's going to change us somehow. So use the chat here. If there's a particular practice you've heard of or that you've incorporated in your day-to-day life, put it here. Um, Maybe it will help someone else. So I'm just going to throw some ideas out here. So what if, what if showering and washing our faces and brushing our teeth in the morning was actually a chance to honor these bodies that God has gifted us with? And I think this transcends gender and age and level of physical fitness. But there is this way that we almost despise our bodies sometimes. We wish there was less of us in certain places and more of us in certain places. We look in the mirror and we're disappointed. We complain. Instead of our bodies turning us towards heaven like they were meant to, this amago day that you and I get to live in and be, instead we're ashamed and oh how the evil one must delight in this. But what if instead, what if every morning as we got ourselves ready, we said to our bodies, you have been bought with a price, that you have been declared a beautiful creation and God is very much pleased with you. And what if each time we saw ourselves in the mirror, we smiled and acknowledged God for giving us this incredible gift of a human body. What if we believed the incarnation so deeply that we honored our bodies and took note when they were tired, hungry, stressed, overwhelmed, and then responded to these dear bodies of ours with love and care? What if we went to bed each night, our heads on our pillows, acknowledging the goodness of God in our days? Mayo Angelou says this. She says, let gratitude be the pillow upon which you kneel to say your nightly prayers. So whatever it is, the beauty of falling snow, the way your toddler's eyes light up, a text from a friend, maybe God's giving you patience about something that you wished had happened yesterday and it hasn't, but you're okay. Maybe God is crumbling away some of your old ideas and he's giving you a bigger picture of himself. Whatever it is, falling asleep grateful may be a good part of a daily liturgy for us. Or, or maybe it's this. What if we lay in bed and remembered all the faces that we had seen that day? You know, family members, work colleagues, people we had Zoom calls with, the guy who dropped off a package at the front door. What if we just took a few minutes, acknowledge them, Prayed a little blessing on them. Because in light of the biblical narrative, this grand story, in light of that, we have to view people differently. As C.S. Lewis says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. But next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So, what if holding up each of these people up to God as a way of our ordinary lives intersecting with God's big story? Now, for a habit to stick, we need cues. And that's why morning and evening can be these cues for us. For me, When I get up in the morning and put this skirt on, this is a cue to remember that God is Redeemer. Now, this may be a bit of a leap for you, so let me explain. I made this skirt out of linen that I dyed with avocado pits. Now, avocado pits are pretty remarkable. Usually we just throw them in the garbage, but not only do they Produce this pretty pink color, but there is this tannin in the seed that acts as a natural mordant. So the color naturally clings to the fiber without any additional mordant. So for a natural dye, this is actually quite amazing. So basically, this skirt was dyed with kitchen compost. But you know what God does? This is exactly what he does, is he takes garbage, and he turns it into something beautiful. He redeems. This is who God is. And so this skirt, when I put it on in the morning, I remember that God is Redeemer. Don't give up hope. He can do remarkable things with people and situations. Somehow with our daily liturgy is we have to connect our ordinary lives with God's big story, the biblical narrative. Eugene Peterson in the message in Romans 12 says, "Take, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Julie Canlis, in her beautiful little book called A Theology of the Ordinary, she warns against this cultural obsession of impact and passion. And she actually traces it back to the frontier movement and this emphasis on revivals and re-revivals. Charles Finney, one of those frontier evangelists, who at the end of his life wondered if this endless craving for emotional experiences would lead to spiritual burnout— And in fact, the area of New York that was Finney's Revival Territory is now called the Burned-Over District. So instead of this emphasis on the spectacular, Canlis encourages us to recover the holiness of ordinary life. And looking back to Adam and Eve, their requirement was their ordinary existence, and it was to be characterized by gratitude, independence. And this was their daily worship. This is what God desired. So how do we arrange our own ordinary lives so that they are characterized by gratitude and dependence? So what does liturgical time do? What does observing the church calendar or the Sabbath or morning and evening times with God do? I think it reminds us that this is just one dimension of time that we experience here. And it raises our sights above the dailiness of life to the essence of life. Liturgical time gives meaning to our days, our weeks, our years. We know that hopeless feeling that nothing matters. We get out of the bed in the morning and we think, who cares, why, what difference does it make? But by living into the rhythms of time with some sort of liturgy, we are given meaning and purpose. And we are reminded that we are made by the great creator and that our lives have meaning and they matter. The thing is, is that we can know good things. We can agree on good things. Like, yes, of course, the church calendar, the Sabbath, the daily liturgy. Yeah, it makes sense that we want to be the people God made us to be. We want to enter this other dimension of time and let the story of God recreate us. But motivation isn't enough. Like, just aspiring to those things isn't actually going to get us that far. The desire to change is the beginning, but we can't stop there. What we need are habits, That are going to form us over time. Habits that allow time and space and the opportunity for the Spirit of God to change us. The word liturgy comes from two Greek words that join together to mean the work of the people. So, whatever our daily, weekly, yearly habits are, this is our liturgy, this is our work. And these three habits of time—daily habits, weekly habits, yearly habits—this is what can connect our ordinary lives to the grand story of God, and that little by little, we can live into this story of death and resurrection through the power of the Spirit. By practicing this liturgical approach to our days, weeks, and years, our lives intersect with the life of Jesus. We walk with Jesus through all the details of His life, and in some mysterious way, Jesus walks with us in ours. And this is the way that the life of Christ continues to live here on earth, is that it continues in us. So all of a sudden, our little ordinary individual lives matter because of the incarnation, because Jesus lived the very life we live. So there is something that is eternally worthwhile and of lasting importance about the way we spend our days, our weeks, our years. Now, placing our stories into the larger story of God's purposes grants us both dignity and humility. It is a gift— But we have to enter into that mystery. We have to pray our way into it, think our way into it, live our way into it. Keeping time with God is this intersection of eternity and time as we know it. And our hours, our days, our years become meaningful and purposeful because by some mysterious grace, the Christ who lived in history And the hope of the Christ who will return in glory is somehow present in our present experience. Praise be to God.